Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guests are Joni Cranston and Anita Best. And we're going to be talking about Bond Bay Cottage Hospital and heritage in the Bond Bay region. So good morning, both good of you. Good morning, Dale. It is good lovely morning. to have you both here. And uh, for those of you who might be, for those people who are listening who might not be familiar with uh, Bond Bay Cottage Hospital, can, Joni, can you start off by telling us a little bit about the building? and maybe a little bit about its history before we get too far into it. The Bombay Cottage Hospital was built in 1939 as part of the Commission of Government's Cottage Hospital System, a system that was brought over from Scotland to provide health care to people in the rural areas of the province. So it was built um, with all with donated material and community labor. The government paid for the foreman and the nails. So if the community wanted a hospital, wanted health care for their people, they had to come together as a community, and everyone chipped in, and it was a wonderful community effort. Um, do you want me to tell a little bit more about how they built it? Yeah, sure. I mean, the men from Norris Point, it was easy. They'd go off in the woods, and they'd cut their logs, and they'd use their oxen to haul the logs over the ice in the winter and, and use that. And the men from Rocky Harbor would walk from Rocky Harbor and go to work all day and walk home again. From Woody Point, they could row across and boat and go home. But if you came from Trout River, you couldn't just come back and forth every day, so the men from Trout River slept in the foundations of the hospital mm. while it was being built. And it was all recorded um, how many, which men from which community contributed how much, what materials, how many hours labor, so that it was all a very fair system. And I think having it built that way really made it part of the community. Right. So it uh, opened in 1939, and it finally closed its doors in 2001 after having provided this excellent health care to the surrounding communities for that many years, from Daniels Harbor, Belburns in the north to Trout River in the south. By the time it closed, it had three doctors, a full nursing staff, lab, x-ray, physiotherapy, which was rare in a rural hospital, and, you know, all the support services, kitchen, laundry, and and it was like a real um, a real family. I had the privilege of going to work there in 1988, so I worked there before for those years before it closed. And it was a wonderful, wonderful hospital to work in. And, and you must hear all kinds of stories. But I, I even know, being out in that region briefly, that people talk about being born. Oh, that was that was where I was born. People will have lots of stories about that. And, and people were born there. Their people died there, and people worked there, and. You know, you might have had your baby there, you might have worked there, and your parents might have died there. So it was connected at all levels of community life. Yeah. So what was the origin of the museum component with the building? Well, um, it was when we knew... First of all, the government said they were going to close the cottage hospital as a measure, as a measure to save a million dollars. They were going to close this hospital, which was a very clever move because, of course, the people all got up in arms, but we actually were very organized. We formed a community group with hospital staff, park staff, clergy, seniors, you know, all across the board, and we respectfully asked our MHA to come and meet with us, and he was so impressed by how organized we were and the arguments we put forward against the closure that he said, well, the hospital is old, it needs to close, but we're going to build you a new one. So instead of saving, they saved a million dollars and spent eight to build it. <laughs> <laughs> That's but it was good. We did need we did need a new hospital, a new modern hospital to serve the region. So some of us um, in the community, when we knew that the hospital was going to close as a hospital, 
we uh, formed a not-for-profit community corporation and spoke to our MHA and said that we would really like to preserve the, pil- the building as a community centre because it, it was one of the last cottage hospitals in the province to close and it was in perfect, pristine condition. Um, we had an architect look at it and the building had been so well maintained that it was, it was quite fine and the government was happy to give it to us for a dollar rather than have to tear it down and we just saw the real value in preserving the history not only of the community effort that was put into the building but representative of the system as a whole. One of the interesting things about the, the building is that it, it has a community radio station built into it. How did that project start? The whole project has been really organic after the building sort of stayed closed for five years while the dust settled and we tried to figure out what to do with it. We finally just said, well, let's just start somewhere, go in, clean it up and see what works where. So we started off with a hostel upstairs where the staff used to live and we created a studio space, a few little office spaces. Uh, the public library went in downstairs in the medical records department. So everything was just happening kind of organically. And then it was a community member, Gary Wilton, who, in talking with, I think, Ivan Emke, said, you know, how, how do you how do you get a community radio station? Wouldn't that be neat to have community radio in the park? Because I think other national parks have community radio. So it just kind of evolved over time. I think we started with the Trails, Tales, and Tunes Festival, that we started with just festival radio. And Fred Campbell came over from Nova Scotia. He ended up being here so and, and got the station set up just for that one festival year. And it went over so well uh, that... They decided to do it again, but it went over so well. And in terms of the cottage hospital, because there was actually community radio people, there was somebody there from Europe studying community radio. I can't remember which country it was from. And and asking how community radio gave a voice to the community. And in talking to that person, we came to realize that the, having the community radio station in the building during the festival was what brought the community back into the cottage hospital. They'd built it, it had been their place, and then this crazy group of people came and were trying to do something with that place. And the community didn't really understand until during the festival when they could come in to the, to the festival station and sit around on the couch and have a cup of coffee. We did a couple oral history interviews of seniors. And then they saw, oh, we walk into this building and we talk about our stories, whether it was about working in the cottage hospital or working in the woods or whatever. So the community radio station gave a voice to the people in the community and drew them back into the building and made them feel at home. So it was like, okay, this has to be a permanent thing. It can't just happen from time to time. We'd done a couple other things. I think we did the Cura thing, Anita, mm-hmm. and you know, a couple other little conferences. But we really decided it had to be permanent. So then it's like... Where's it going to go? And, you know, which part of the building? And, and I think my husband said, well, what about that room down there that used to be the doctor's office? So we said, yeah, that would be a nice little spot. So we got a project and fixed up that room, which, again, has a little bit of organic history to it because Dr. Murphy was the second doctor, Dr. Noel Murphy. And when he moved to Cornerbrook, he set up a radio station in Cornerbrook. Uh, so there's all these <laughs> synergies that yeah. go on. And that's how, we, that's how everything happens in that building. Yeah. Anita, I know you have a, a long history, you know, with involvement in broadcasting in one way or another. Um, what's been your involvement with the, the community radio? The Voice oh, I, I just am a volunteer there, yeah. and, and I'm the volunteer program director at the moment. And so, 
you know, with a, we're all volunteers, so we have a number of people who go on the air, but uh, people are shy to go on the air, right. so <laughs> we get really extroverted people who are going on. But we've had, uh, I guess, the oldest, uh, longest-running show we've had is uh, from uh, hosted by a child. Oh, really? Uh, Emily, she's uh, 16, 17 now, but she was like eight when she started, and she had her own radio show playing her own music, Emily's iPod. <laughs> That's so Emily Walsh. And then um, Jonathan, uh, her brother Jonathan and his friends decided to do a, a show about sports and stuff. So they come on and they talk about their, their experiences on Skidoo and, you know, what's going on and what they think of what's going on in the, in the world of sports and soccer and hockey and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we have, um, you know, other community members that come in and do the kind of music that they would like and, and so forth. And we, uh, uh, we try to cover the community events. If there's a conference uh, at the Marine Station, I used to work at the Marine Station there. Yes. And if there's a conference or something going on there, we try to broadcast that live if we can or record bits of it and, uh, and play it later. And, the various festivals that are on were always a presence there. And uh, as a fundraiser, we uh, we run a little uh, house concert series during the summer. If there are musicians around, uh, we don't pay their travel or anything, but we uh, we arrange for them to have a concert in the uh, Old Cottage Hospital upstairs in the big studio, as we call it. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's how we make a bit of money. We yeah. split the door with them. Joni made this comment about that it the station gives voice to community. I, I'm just curious, what what kind of feedback do you get from people in the community about well, the radio station? Lots of people really listen to it. We get uh, all kinds of feedback comments. You know, uh, for example, from visitors who come to Grossmore, and they're really happy that they can, and when they turn on the radio, they they find out about what's going on. Like there's a concert here, there's such and such going on, Woody Point, such and such going on, Rock Ever. So they're happy about that. So it's a, as a news service, it seems to be working. In terms of telling people what's happening where, uh, other people uh, really enjoy hearing music that they really like from local musicians. So we've had that on, and in some cases we get you know complaints saying, "All you ever play is folk music," you know. <laughs> what about some country? <laughs> or we'll get people who say like. I haven't heard one single piece of classical music being played on this radio station. Well, it's not true. It's sort of late night, yeah. late night fair. Our classical music component comes on late at night, but you know, you you get comments like that. And uh, we have had a couple of shows where uh, community involvement in healthcare, things like that. Joni has had a show on an exercise show where you listen to Joni on the radio and. And, and you do your exercises at home in your kitchen. And <laughs> Tell stuff us about like that, that. Joni. How, how did you come up with that idea? Well, I was doing um, this little exercise program in the studio room anyway, Mobility for Life for seniors. But, I mean, it's not only for seniors. They're age 35 to 95. Yeah. And they sit in their chair and, and, you know, sit up straight and breathe and tap your toes <laughs> and do all these things to music. And I did it once during during the Trails, Tales, and Tunes Festival. And people said, oh, yeah, I listened to your show, and I sat at home, and I did it. So then I thought, well, then, you know, because it's really hard to get people out to exercise, especially this past winter where the weather was so miserable. Um, I thought, well, I don't want older people coming out in this horrible weather. They'll probably hurt themselves on the way to exercise. So we did broadcast it on the radio, and I had some real faithful listeners and some people that I had no idea that were listening, and then you hear, oh, so-and-so does your show this 
you know, my mother does your show. My mother doesn't do anything. And my mother can <laughs> sit, because all you have to do is sit there. And if the music comes on, you can hardly help yourself but sit up straight and breathe and tap yeah. your toes. So that's, uh, that's something that I want to, I'll do again in the fall. I'm going to be going farther on down the coast, um, to different communities down the coast that have never had that access. And what we'll do is record it using the radio station and give them copies of the recording to practice during the month. I'd like to do a little research project on the use of community radio to promote community health. Right. I think it'd be a great, a great study. Just as the cottage hospital was a a really effective solution to bringing healthcare to rural communities. I'd like to take it the next level and see how community radio could be a really effective uh, solution to promoting health and wellness in these rural areas. And we uh, we usually run programs uh, on the, from the uh, N- National Camps and Community Radio Association that are available for all community radio stations to use, and uh, one of them is on uh, is, is is Handy Links. It's uh, issues that are faced by handicapped people, you know, of all kinds of handicaps, from blindness to you know physical immobility and all that kind of stuff. And we broadcast those types of programs. <clears throat> get feedback from them, and then <clears throat> if people really like them, we continue to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in this idea of uh, <coughs> of community health because the the cottage hospital was set up as a as a hospital, and and I know that one of the kind of themes that you're exploring with the museum component uh, is community health. You know, so this kind of dovetails very nicely into the other work that you're doing. I know at one point you were talking about setting up a community garden and and having health broadly be one of the interpretive themes of the museum. Yeah, I think, and it's it's not, we have a, a room that we call the museum room or the story room or just the room as opposed to the rooms because uh, it's not a typical museum room, but we do have little kind of display areas set up. But we we want to interpret the building as a whole and the center as a whole. So that's why we say, you know, the radio station was the doctor's office, the lab is now an artist's studio, the medical records was... Uh, is the library. So we're interpreting the building of, as a whole and using, I don't think we're making, we're not really making, the heritage aspect is sort of seamless with all the other mm-hmm. uses. It's sort of, this is where it was and this is what it's evolving into. And not, this is not what it has evolved into. To me, the story of the Cottage Hospital started in 1939. You had your kind of first chapter till 2001. But now this is a whole, the story's still being written. The story of this cottage hospital is still being written, how it's going to evolve into the future. And it still is a story of community health in the broader sense. I think it's an interesting model for community museums broadly because I, I think quite often uh, community museums inherit a building, uh, as you did. You know, they, oh, here's an old building that you can have for a dollar. Uh, communities turn that into a museum, and then they spend the rest of their existence struggling to keep the lights on and to, you know, fix the roof when the roof starts to leak. Um, but having kind of a multiple-use plan for the building, so having uh, the, the radio station, having the library, having your physiotherapy happening. The hostel, the hostel. The hostel is our biggest revenue generator, yeah. which works really well then, too, because you bring in people from all over the world 
who can hear your story of the community museum. We actually have a Grenfell student staying there for the summer, and she's an ethnographer, so she's become the hostel marm, and she is so passionate about her work that everybody who stays at the hospital, oh, would you like to see the museum and hear the story of our cottage hospital? And they're fascinated by it. So everything really supports each other. It's synergistic, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And there are offices for rent, you know. The government rents a couple of offices there. You search and rescue in the building? Search or? and rescue is in an adjacent building. Oh, and then building, yeah. um, uh, Gary Noel has his uh, Writers at Woody Point office, Trails, Sales and Tunes have an office. There. So it's sort of things that reflect on the entire community or, you know, there's a little hub there that... Uh, allows that to happen. I, I remember you know, back in 2006 <clears throat> when we had the Intangible Cultural Heritage Conference, there was a fellow I think from Australia who came and was talking about kind of these commu- heritage spaces in communities in Australia and he was saying you know, they were developing community museums and archives but then that's where they'd also put the laundromat <laughs> you know, so, so that people would actually come in and use the library you know, yeah. because oh I'm going to do my laundry and then I'm going to go you know, read a book you know? yeah yeah, I love. And, uh, I think that's a great, a great idea, yeah. uh, you know. And I think that's we sort of do that. They people come to see Joni in her physiotherapy practice up there, and they'll wander into the museum. They'll wander down to the radio station, and we end up interviewing them, you know. Uh, lately, we've been doing a lot more with parks than we have been. So, uh, people come on and on a regular basis say what's going on in the park at that yeah. time. This interpretive program, that interpretive program, and we've been. Uh, you know, um, had to endure all kinds of roadworks this summer, which is great because we've got a fabulous new highway now. But, you know, when they were blasting and things like that, we'd be... Uh, and, of course, Gary, uh, being the genius he is, has set up, uh, you know, the station so that we are actually an emergency, the go-to emergency place, you know. So we have a generator that we hook into, and if their power goes in the community, we can still... As long as people have battery-operated battery radios, they can still hear and us. And they can get their emergency broadcast information. And get their emergency yeah. broadcast information from yeah. us. So That's great. It's really good, yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I really like this idea, too, that it's it's a living story, that the the, muse, the museum is just the next chapter in the in the continuing history of that, that cottage hospital. Yeah. I mean, we do really need to capture those stories of, of what it was yeah. once and... and um, we're moving into our oral, his- oral history phase now with the community development assistants we trained last year. With the excellent training they got last year, we're hoping to this year they'll be called heritage development assistants, really focusing on that aspect and some oral history. Uh, but even the summer, just last week, I managed to interview Nurse Coffee, who worked there in 1952 and 53. And just because I was afraid if I didn't get her right at that point, I might not get her. We're, we're getting the sense of urgency that it really is important to capture those stories now that will embellish the museum room and preserve that heritage. And um, the community radio, again, is an invaluable resource for that because it's got the recording equipment, it's got the expertise, and then, you know, you can, with the, the consent forms, we can say to the people, can we use some of your clips on the radio? Can we put a little part of this? You could create radio shows about nursing, about kitchens, about whatever. And and so we feel that's a really important part of the, the heritage aspect of the building right now, to focus on capturing those voices before they're gone. Uh, how many staff uh, are left? How many of the nurses or doctors or... or 
Oh, I would say 50 in the community. And then um, there's people who say, you know, I have so many people who walk through the building and in between my physio patients like, oh, I was a nurse here in 1963. It's like, give me your name and number. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how many people I have had that have walked in the museum room and touched the incubator and said, I was a baby in that incubator. Now, I should have had a piece of paper there <laughs> saying, give us your name and number and let's get the names of all the people who were babies in that incubator. That is such a strong link yeah. to be able to link right back to your birth. So, um, you know, there are still a lot of resources out there that we can interview. Uh, a lot of the former staff are still working in the new hospital. The new hospital. Yeah. 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 Which is not the same as the old. And we're working on, <coughs> we're working on signage as well to go outside the doors to say what happened there with a little uh, vitrine, little sort of glass uh, showcase uh, with a maybe, uh, you know, a, a forceps or something like that to show this is the place where babies were born. This is the nursery where all the babies were kept until they were they went home with their moms, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we're working on the signage for that now. And actually, yes, we I guess we really should mention <laughs> that with the help of Lucy Alway and CEDP grants, we're providing that's a wonderful program. We've, we're completing phase one now and hoping to move into phase two. So phase one will give us this beautiful sign out by the road. That's the most confusing thing about our building. If you can find it and figure out which door to go in (laughs) (laughs) and what's going on in this place. But this this very clever sign will tell all that at the roadside and then there's going to be signage at each entrance to show here's where you go in for radio or library or or the downstairs and here's where you come in for hostel and other services. And so you you actually have a, a, like a development plan, uh, an interpretive plan. An interpretive plan, yeah. yeah. It was developed by Anne Marceau uh, in conjunction with the Heritage Committee mm-hmm. yeah. and um, she's really good at that sort of thing and we have a three-phase uh, you know, interpretation plan developed. So phase mm-hmm. one is the signage. The signage yeah. and phase all two of that stuff. Uh, phase, phase two was developing a timeline. We have a, a timeline along the wall that shows, uh, that tells a little bit of the story of cottage hospitals mm-hmm. in the province, you know, right from uh, the earliest Europeans that came up until the, the closure of that hospital. So there's a timeline you can walk through. And uh, some, I think, uh, heroes and helpers. Uh, we're gonna, that, and that'll be a work in that progress. Way. That you know, pictures of the staff when they work there. Here's the nurses. Here's the doctors. But if somebody came now, we could say, well, we'll take your picture now, because this nurse coffee had a garden when she worked there. So we got a picture. We have an original picture of Nurse Coffee in her garden. Now we have a picture of Nurse Coffee standing where that yeah. garden was. And that'll go in the photograph uh, display, and then we have a wall for these are the people who worked at the hospital, helped to build it, and worked here. And uh, uh, th- because we had, we received a designation uh, as um, a provincial uh, commemorations, um, right. historic commemorations, yep. as being basically representing the whole cottage hospital system because it was the building that was most intact that's left. Mm-hmm. Most of them have either been torn down or so thoroughly altered that they no longer, you can't go in there and see yeah. what a cottage hospital was like. I, I, I can't think of many. I know the 
the cottage hospital in Markland has been turned into the winery there. Right. But I think most of the other cottage hospitals in the province have been have been torn down. Been torn down or turned into something totally yeah. no longer, you know, having anything to do with the, with healthcare or anything. So we got that designation, and we are going to tell that story a little, you know, insofar as we can. So. Mm. Yeah, another award that we got, which I was just reminded of recently, was the Manning Award for Excellence in Public Presentation of Historic Spaces. And I think it it was because of the kind of unique way in which we were presenting this historic space as a sort of living heritage place, right? I think it's even fascinating for for hostel visitors. You know, you do have the rooms upstairs, but then one of the rooms in the hostel is one of the former wards, is that correct? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that we call it our hostel ward. So you can go and stay, and it was it was the in the end it was a long term care ward. So the the beds are where those four beds were, and you get your curtain around the bed and the furniture is the same. It's quite remarkable. Like I could really see that uh, capturing people's imaginations when they come. And it's haunted as well, Dale. Yes. (laughs) And what has happened in the building? Well, people, you know, they say that if they've stayed in that ward, they've heard noises, and you know, things have been moved. Yeah, but I can't go any further than that. <laughs> the latest, the latest one is I went upstairs one day after work, and and there was a plumber. He's working on the new hospital, and he was sitting up in the kitchen, and he wasn't wearing a shirt, so he's now become the shirtless plumber. And he said, <laughs> last night he said I was in bed. He was sleeping in director of nursing room, and he said I heard footsteps about two in the morning, and I got up and I went in the hall, and there was nobody around, and I went back to bed, and I'd hear the footsteps again. So we have to investigate the shirtless plumber and the ghost. <laughs> I mean, there's endless material there, just endless. We actually have our first uh, writer-in-residence this summer. He's, again, a Grenfell student, Robert Chalk, and he's a creative writer. So he's going to be, he's staying at the Marine Station now, but his last couple weeks are going to be spent at the Cottage Hospital, and Mm. he's keeping a journal. So He's he's also doing a radio show. Great. Yeah. A couple of radio shows while he's there. So. Yeah. yeah, he's uh, he's really keen. He, I said, so how, how are you going to do this? How are you going to work? He said, I'm just going to be around and keep a journal and keep my ear open for these stories, and, and something will come out of it. Yeah. Right? yeah. So the oral history program that you're going to be working on, um, so some of these stories will end up on the radio. Uh, the rest of them will... Uh, do you have an archival collection as part of the... Yeah, and our ethnographer, she's very, very thorough. She's. We have a hard drive, so that's got all our formal oral history on it from years ago. And she's, you know, now this latest interview will be on there. All the archival material is on this hard drive, which then will put a word, the Mon Digital Archives will yes. hook into that. So we'll have, I mean, I understand that you need multiple ways of preserving these things. So if something crashes, you've got other ways. But she's already pulled out some clips from the Nurse Coffee interview that we could, you know, we could uh, use on the radio. Or also, you know, we want to develop some kind of self-guided tour through the building that you could follow along a brochure, read the timelines on the wall, read the panels that are going to be up there. But maybe I understand there's technology, these little buttons or pods that you can put on the earphones and you can stand outside the kitchen and hear the the cook talking about how she used to go in the morning and bake her bread, right? You know, so I think that would be really, really rich to hear those voices. That's all part of phase three to develop that type of uh, walking tour, right? <laughs> Where you you either it, we 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 don't know yet which way we're going to go with it. It could be like Chris Brooks's, uh, you know, hearsay thing, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, hearsay kind of yeah. thing, or it could be um, 
you know, little machines there where you press a button and and a, a, a disc will speak to you, you know, at, mm. the, at various locations. I was just out in Placentia not that long ago, and Placentia has a new, <laughs> beautiful new exhibit about the songs and stories of Placentia Bay. Yeah. And, uh, and they make excellent use of iPads. Uh, so you can click on the iPad, uh, they have them mounted in the display, and you can listen to all these uh, singers and, and storytellers, yeah. which is a great little yeah. project. And that might be the way we'll go. We have to investigate like what it's going to actually cost for yeah. all of these things. Yeah. So that's a, a several-phase project. Uh, how, how many years uh, worth of work do you think that is? Or is it a never-ending This is never-ending, yeah. but my con- we're, we're applying for a big grant to... Uh, we need some... The building needs some you know repairs and maintenance, but... Um, we were encouraged to not just think small repairs and maintenance, think big picture. I mean, what we would love to do is restore the clapboard on the outside of the building because mm-hmm. it's much more sustainable for the long term. Restore the old windows. You can you you have these heritage window people. You take it apart, and you so you're training carpenters in the community to do this. You take the window apart, you put in the energy efficient glass, so it'll make the building more energy efficient. And my vision is to make that building sustainable to 2039 for the 100th anniversary. And I think it'll be involved a lot further than it is now by 2039. Mm. But it's, it's, it's an ongoing work. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like every heritage project. It, it'll never yeah. end. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for coming in. Thank you, Anita. Thank you, Joni. Thank uh, you. If people want to tune in to Voice of Bombay, can they do that online? They can. It's vobb.org. Great. Well, we will send some listeners your way. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis, and our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening.